What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Adios, old friend. Yeah, I've got no secrets and no regrets. Well, a lot of regrets, but the point is I've got nothing to hide. Kind of like the way Progressive shows you their competitors' rates. You gotta put it all out there, baby. Excuse me, miss. Does this heart belong to you? Would you like it anyway? Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparisons not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Ah, the copperhead snake. It hisses before attacking. But that's not a copperhead. That's the Sullivan's RV freshwater tank overflowing into their black one, which is backing into their vent pipe, making for a very different kind of attack. One that arrives just in time for taco night. It's wild out there. When it gets too wild, Progressive has your RV covered. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Welcome, everybody, to the LLB, where just like IHOB, we have decided to swap our P with a B. And that B stands for... Any guesses, Tommy? Braun! Oh, shoot! You got it! Lakers Legacy Braun! That's where we at. Lego, it's lit. And uh, full disclosure, I did not prep Tommy (laughs) to that intro at all. So good job, Tommy. (laughs) Before we get into the NBA stuff, though, have you tried a burger from IHOB yet? I have not. So wait, what is the deal with that? Are they, is it just this, they used to sell burgers too, right? No, I think they're just adding burgers to their menu. Really, it's a publicity stunt. And I know they've changed a few signs to physically have the B up there, but they didn't do it to like all of them. I think it's more a publicity stunt to start off with. And then eventually it's just going to be the 
normal IHOP that people go to eat breakfast. Wait, I thought, okay, so look, that's what I thought at first. This is like beyond the scope of this pod, but that, that's what I thought at <laughs> is it? first. I know, good point. And uh, I thought I read some stuff and it said that, no, they actually are going to be a burger place now. They're still going to sell pancakes, <laughs> but they're like a burger place now. I mean, maybe. At this point, who knows? I just know that the Twitter, literal Twitter beef between other fast food chains and uh, IHOB has been pretty amazing. I know Burger King tweeted out that they, I think they, for a day, changed their Twitter handle to uh, Pancake King, just to troll IHOB. So uh, nice. It's pretty hilarious. But LLB, speaking of burgers, we got one hell of a juicy meat patty to talk about right here, right now. And uh, that's LeBron James, the NBA draft. All this stuff is going on. It's going to be one hell of a ride in the NBA to close out June and to start out our July. And I am here for all of it. But first things first, Tommy, we still got the draft to come. Uh, So with that said, welcome to our penultimate NBA 2018 draft episode. Tonight, we've got special guest and NBA draft analyst Sean Derenthal from Ode to Odin and the Stepian. Um, We've had him on last year. So this year, he's going to be talking about the number 25 pick again, some options at number 47, and a deeper delve into some prospects that we haven't yet touched on. Um, Tommy was not able to partake of the interview portion, but he is here right now to usher us into it and uh, give us his final draft thoughts leading into what should be a particularly interesting NBA draft this upcoming Thursday. Uh, But before all that, as usual, please follow us on Twitter, at LakersLegacyPod. Please also rate and review us on iTunes because the more you rate and review us, that is how many more promises Rob Palinka will be doling out to lottery, mid-lottery, non-lottery, and even undrafted talent just to confuse the hell out of people this upcoming Thursday at the draft. So yes, please rate and review us on iTunes. So Tommy, before I get to your draft thoughts, here's the latest Lakers draft scuttlebutt. Um... The Lakers, depending on when you listen to this episode, the Lakers are set to work out DeAnthony Melton or have just worked him out. Per the ringers, Kevin O'Connor, Lakers may be looking to move up into the mid-first round or move up a bit higher from their number 25 spot because they are are infatuated with a couple of prospects. And the name that he threw out was Texas Tech's tantalizing combo guard, Zaire Smith. The Lakers also apparently have given Kevin Herter a promise, or at least that's the growing belief around the league amongst execs. And news came out recently that Kevin Herter has to undergo surgery to one of his hands because he has a torn ligament. And apparently he did the combine and all of his workouts with that torn hand and still shot the lights out and still impressed a bunch of scouts and execs, including Luke Walton, who was at the combine to watch him just drain a bunch of threes in a row. And also, as you remember from earlier on, the Lakers also somehow promised Mitchell Robinson their selection if he falls to number 25. And recently, per the ringers Kevin O'Connor again, he's also said that the Lakers are also very interested in Anthony Simons, who they had work out about a week and a half ago. So Anthony Simons, if you remember, is the kid who in the last year opted not to go to college but train with IMG Academy in Orlando And uh, he has tantalizing upside because of his athleticism, dunkability, and just his three-level scoring potential. So, Tommy, are you able to keep track of all that? (laughs) No. Okay, great. Anyway, I'm going to get your thoughts on it anyway. Um, So, yeah, 
I guess, what are your thoughts on all of this uh, hubbub? I think a lot of these things seem to kind of contradict each other. I think when all this news came out, Lakers Twitter kind of got into a tizzy because all of a sudden th- we're thinking about, wait, how are we going to move up in the draft? What are we going to use? Is Josh Hart plus the number 25 enough to move down to number 15? Could we possibly be utilizing one of our actual young core? Is Kyle Kuzma going to be packaged? Is Brandon Ingram going to be packaged? Are we going to are we going to involve Luau Deng so that we potentially get rid of Luau Deng, give up Brandon Ingram, but get a mid-lotto first back while also ridding us of Luau Deng's cap entirely and cleanly? So all this stuff is going on. Last night, Eric Pincus came on to kind of squash, not squash everything, but kind of put everything into context, saying that the Lakers at this point are going to hold on to all of their blue chip assets for as long as they can in case they need it for a Luau Dang deal. And because the dust hasn't even hit the air to settle yet, they're likely not going to do anything prematurely prior to free agency. So I guess, what are your thoughts on all this? Do you believe any one particular story? Or do you think this is just Rob Palenka showing his true gamesmanship? And I don't know if you want to talk about last year and all the stuff that was going on with uh, D'Angelo Russell and and all that stuff. But yeah, what are your thoughts about all this stuff swirling around just days before the draft? And I mean, obviously, we all know this is NBA silly season and it can get kind of crazy. I think overall, I... um... I'm pretty surprised by how everything's going down. And and what I mean by that is I thought we were kind of not going to have to deal with this this year because we only have the 25 pick as our highest pick. We're not top five. We're typically, or even top 10, where that's like typically where all the action is. You know, in previous years, it was like, oh, are we going to try to trade up to number one to draft Fultz or, you know, Ben Simmons or something? Or are we going to try to trade down to get multiple picks for our top asset because we're trying to add talent. Like, what are we going to try to do with all the, and and things just get crazy and there's so much fake news and noise out there because everybody, nobody wants to tip their hand, especially in the top five, because, you know, that could be the difference between you getting Carmelo Anthony or Darko Milicic. If you want to think about that one, you know what I mean? Like it, it, it makes a huge difference. Um, so it's very, very interesting and, and frankly entertaining to me that that we're doing the exact same thing, um, despite <laughs> the fact that we have no top picks and we're just right in there, like right in the in the mess with with everybody else making a lot of noise here. And and I'm very entertained by it. And and more so than being entertained by it, though, I think I'm I'm. Uh, very happy that it seems like these guys, and when I say these guys, I mean the front office, they're, they're really leaving no stone unturned. Mm-hmm. They're exploring every option. It just shows you how valuable, how much they value first round picks in general. And that's a good thing. We don't want to be in the situation where, I mean, you know, look, is the reality that a lot of players drafted outside of the lottery you know, are not going to be in the NBA in a few years or like are not going to, um, are not ever going to really develop. Yeah, that's true. That happens for a lot of players. But I feel like the problem we had with our old front office is Mitch Kupchak like literally said that in interviews. He'd, he'd say like, oh, you know, these players never really turn into, NBA. but it's like you can't go into it with that mindset. Um, so I like the fact that they are viewing this as, you know, whoever we take at 25 potentially could be a starter for us, just like Kyle Kuzma ended up being like a starter caliber player for us. So 
I don't know who their actual target is. Like you named a lot of guys who have been linked to us and who we are, you know, enamored with allegedly and who, uh, and who we would really like to draft, but it's a lot of guys fit that category. And, you know, it could easily end up like last year where we just end up drafting a guy that was not even on anybody's radar. (laughs) And that's the guy we were really after the whole time. So I don't know what it is. Uh, I don't know if you want me to give like my opinion about who I hope that we end up picking, but yeah, sure. Uh, before we get to that, I feel like ever since Rob Palink and Magic Johnson took over, they have not only done un- some unexpected moves that we hadn't anticipated, but the smoke prior to that has kind of been everywhere. If that makes sense, and I think like as you were like you were getting to, I think I appreciate their gamesmanship in all of this, outside of the fact that it seems like they're doing their due diligence everywhere. And I know I know some people may say, well, this is kind of pointless. Why are they just throwing up all this smoke? And I'd actually say. I think they even work, secretly worked out Lonnie Walker. I wouldn't be surprised if they secretly worked out Zaire Smith. I, I think one source said that they had actually had multiple conversations with Zaire Smith outside of the... I don't even know if... I, he may have done measurements at the Combine, but I don't know if he had participated. But it seems like the Lakers have really done their due diligence. And I know that seems like a normal thing that every NBA team does, regardless of whether or not they have a lotto pick. But... I think there's some believability to the fact that if the Lakers were able to find a way and and find the right context and team, they would actually consider, you know, moving up a few spots or moving to the potentially right outside of the lottery if, if it so happens that guys slip, you know. And I think the fact that they're casting that wide net is a very encouraging sign leading up to the draft, even if none of this happens, you know, and even if like that pick ends up being traded along with Luau Dang and all this infatuation was for naught. But yeah, I guess let's get to what are your final thoughts on this draft? Um, who do you like at 25? Uh, Jesse Buss came on today. I forgot who interviewed him, but he pretty much outlined what the Lakers are looking for. And it's kind of been in line with what we've been thinking. He just kind of prioritize things in terms of you know shooting is at a premium for them and then after that guys who can just think the game high basketball IQ players and then of course defensive ability guys that can switch and guard multiple positions so that's pretty much what we've we've been preaching all along it it may just seem that they're maybe prioritizing shooting at the very top which would lend itself to okay Kevin Herter maybe they did give him a promise um so yeah given Jesse Buss's recent comments and what you've heard yeah, what are your thoughts on, on your final thoughts on the draft, and who do you like at twenty five? I think the draft is really deep, and I think there's a lot of talent. In more more talent, I think in the you know fifteen to twenty five ish range than I think we've seen in in recent years. I think in general, the quality of college players in the last you know since we've been picking in the first round, which you know. Is, pretty much since 2012 or 2013 um the quality of talent in the first round on the whole has been really good there were some exceptions Brandon Ingram's draft was a pretty weak draft um outside of you know the top few guys so but i think in general it they've all been pretty deep drafts but i think in particular this draft it's just you know i'm not saying you're getting like a borderline all-star player at number 20. I'm just, it just feels like this year there are way more guys who you can 
select. It, it, they're way more quote unquote safe picks than it seems like there have been in previous years. Like Kevin Herter, that guy can shoot lights out, and it feels like if you put him in any on any team. Uh, he's going to be able to at least bring that. And he's only 19, so he's still developing. And in previous years, it almost feels to me like a guy like that maybe goes number 14, and here he's projected like number 21. That's a significant drop. So it feels like it's overall talented, uh, way more talented than it, than, uh, it, it often is. I think... The guy that I'm most intrigued by is Kevin Herter. Um, I don't know that he's going to fall to 25. I don't know what the heck happened with respect to his, like, oh, he's canceling workouts. And, you know, it's interesting that they said that the Jazz wanted him to – the Jazz may have been the team that made him the promise at number 21, but – the flip side is, of that is you read all these rumors that the Jazz were the workout that he he ended up canceling, um, and he he cut it off after the Lakers. So it's really hard to say what's going on there. Um, I really like him because of his shooting ability and his uh, uh, just his basketball IQ and relative length. I think at the small forward position, he doesn't measure like a freak, but he has good measurements, and he just seems like. You know, when you watch him play, it's like he's not doing anything super flashy, but he gets the job done. And he's not unathletic, which, you know, often guys who are high basketball IQ, it doesn't really mesh with the athleticism. Like Kyle Anderson, Mm -hmm. I think, is a good example of that. You know, so that might be extreme, but still. Um, But assuming Herder is not available, then the next guy I look at is uh, D'Anthony. That's his name, right? D'Anthony Melton. Um, and I just really like this guy's grit on defense. I think he's an underrated playmaker and I think that his length is going to, you know, really cause a lot of disruption. I think he has a lot to prove because, and he's going to play with a chip on his shoulder because he wasn't able to play like last year. So, um, I think that's going to be my next guy that I look at, um, but really, that is sort of the tone of the guys that I'm looking at, right? It's like guys who have defensive upside and who can shoot. And really, everything else, I feel like I think, and I think the coaches think, that they can bring those guys in and, and clean up the the, uh, the things that they're not so good at. Now, Jesse Buss also mentioned that they're always going to go BPA uh, in spite of all of their criteria that they're throwing out there. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Anthony Simons thing really quickly? Because it kind of falls in line with the Zaire Smith uh, infatuation, quote-unquote infatuation. So what if the Lakers end up going that high upside swing? I, I would be fine with it. I, I don't – again, it, it really depends on the context and what's available. These guys have worked out Anthony Simons. There's upside – you know, I – I just feel like people get so caught up in the upside. Yeah, sure, upside, you might draft the next Monte Ellis, you know, who a lot of us recall went mid-second round or something. Or you might end up dra- drafting the next Bruno Caboloco or whatever the heck that guy's name is on the, uh, uh, on the, on the Raptors, right? Like, when they took Bruno that year, everybody said, oh, you know, like, this is a reach, but he's a, he's a huge project and, 
he has insane length and he he might end up being a real a real NBA really solid NBA player one day and this is going to look like a steal and that fool's like going to be out of the league in like in the next year or two so he has a wingspan of 5 years away from 5 years away exactly <laughs> exactly so it, if they think that there's a talent that's so tantalizing that they just can't walk away from it i think they'll obviously go with that i just don't know that at 25 you're necessarily going to find that. Um, yeah. I think that those types of guys, like, for example, if Anthony, Anthony uh, Simons and, and Zyre Smith are really that good, those guys are both 19. Like, they'll go in the lottery. You know what I mean? There are older guys who will get pushed down because teams in the lottery are swinging for the fences usually. I don't doubt that if there's a guy like that, for example, let's say they're really high on Mitchell Robinson and they got, you know they got a little nervous because of leak that they were high on him. And now maybe other teams will get interested. So they leaked all this other stuff and that's actually their guy. And if he is completely an unknown, super, he's going to be super raw. Like we don't even know if he can play in in the NBA yet. Or like, you know, even in, in the summer league or in the D league, how's he going to do? We don't know. But if that's the type of guy that drops and they take a chance on somebody like that, then that's fine. You know, I have no problem with that. Yeah, agree. So my last question to you to wrap up our draft thoughts here. You mentioned that the draft seems particularly deep and guys, there are even some high upside guys within our range that may even push some older guys down. I'm taking solace in that more so not only for a number 25 pick, but for our 47th pick as I've started to fade at not necessarily all the guys in number 25, but I've started to fade my own quote-unquote infatuation with those guys because I'm preparing myself for the fact that, you know, that pick may inevitably get traded. Um, And as I mentioned, the Lakers actually can trade this year's pick, 2018, along with 2019 pick, as long as they make the pick first and then trade it afterwards. That's still in line with the Stepien rule. So given all of that, Tommy, what are your thoughts on, do you think that, do you have any guesses as, as to what might happen Thursday? Do you think it'll be status quo? Do you think it'll be exciting? There's a lot of things to watch for, including what the Cavs draft strategy is going to be. So if they trade, if they pick like a high upside guy at number eight that potentially can't contribute immediately, and then they also make another trade for another draft pick. I mean, obviously, maybe the the writing's on the wall if they do moves like that, or they take on even worse contracts than they already have to get an extra asset that could lead people to speculate that LeBron has already told them their intentions. Um, But even outside of that, with regards to the Lakers, what are your thoughts on Luau Deng potentially being traded? If a Luau Deng deal is available, do you think the Lakers may actually strike in spite of the fact that free agency hasn't started? I'm starting to kind of go along the lines of, I think if that deal is available, even though Pincus has said that the Lakers have Luau Deng contingency plans lined up, I think because of the increasing knowledge that there are other suitors for LeBron James and suitors who don't necessarily have the cap space now to make a move, um, I think that fact is kind of swaying me to go in the direction of, you know, if that deal is available draft day and it involves the number 25 pick, maybe the Lakers do um, do it and strike first because Houston's on the lurk. They're trying to get LeBron too, and they would need to dump some salary space as well to even facilitate a LeBron James deal. Um, there are other teams like the Mavericks who have to clear up space, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, I think if a deal is present, maybe the Lakers would be more amenable to doing it uh, during draft day. So what are your thoughts on that really quick? 
Is it possible? Yes. Do I expect it? No. I And I don't expect it for two reasons. One is I think they're going to play it conservative, although they might believe that they... And I think they're sort of planning for the event that they end up getting both Paul George and LeBron based on everything that there's too much noise for them not to be doing that. Um, but the second thing is... I actually do think that the closer we get to this becoming a reality, if I'm the front office, particularly Rob Palenka, who we've mentioned before has a law background and is a critical thinker and is probably hyper paranoid as most lawyers are, um, is probably sitting there thinking this could look really, really, really bad if there's been all this hype and you know you start piecing together a history and it's like oh well why would they have traded Luel Deng without you know with, without even knowing if they really needed you know they already had two max spots to sign two max guys so you would think they would see if they could get two max guys to commit first before freeing up even more space it it doesn't really seem that a quote unquote rebuilding team as of June 21st, 2018 is, it doesn't really make sense for them to burn assets to dump a contract. They theoretically could just sit on that. So if I'm the front office, maybe I'm sitting around thinking, and I don't think this is going to be determinative. I don't think this is going to be the reason they don't make a move, but it, it might be in the back of my mind where I'm thinking like, okay, does this look shady AF? You know what I mean? Because, yeah, yeah. That could happen. It, you know, things – I think what could happen, though, to a, a point you, you raised also is the Cavs just got their roster. I, I don't think that that's unreasonable. Um, I don't necessarily know that they trade Kevin Love, but I think everybody else is on the block. And if they get the right package for Kevin Love, I think, frankly, think he's on the block too. Mm-hmm. And I think that's because they know that LeBron's not coming, but – they, them knowing LeBron's not coming back is different than us knowing he's coming here. Like, that's fine. LeBron could tell them today, that's not tampering. Like, he could say right now, I'm not coming back, that he's on that team as of the end of the season. So he could just tell them, I'm not coming back. But, like, we have no way to really know that if he's coming or not in a, in a legitimate way. No, for sure. I agree. It kind of looks semi tampery if we uh, strike, strike that quickly, given all the noise that has already been surrounding the Lakers, LeBron James, and Paul George. I would like to add one last thought to that, and that would be the one advantage to making that deal on draft day is I feel like you can open up communication lines with Julius Randle even easier after that in terms of you've shown him a definitive and tangible way in which they you plan to 100% keep him. You know what I mean? So it's like, oh, Luau Deng's gone. We made this move for you, buddy. So we just need you to sit tight, not take any deals, and we'll re-sign you, or we'll sign you after we make our signings with LeBron James and Paul George over the cap. So we already made the move just to prove to you that we are 100% going to retain you. But given the free agency landscape and Dallas going after DeMarcus Cousins hard, Julius Randle may not have a choice anyways, and maybe they don't need to make a move like that regardless. So uh, with that said, those are our final draft thoughts. I'm going to switch it over now to my talk with Sean Derenthal of O to Odin, and we'll get into some additional NBA draft prospects that may slip to the 47th range so that we don't have to feel sad if we inevitably end up trading that number 25 pick. So uh, we will catch you guys after the turn. This is Mike from the Almighty Baller Network. It's nice to have a helping hand, especially when it's tax season, and that hand is attached to a licensed tax professional. 
With TurboTax Live, you can talk to real CPAs and EAs on demand who can review your return with you before you file and to make sure you get your maximum refund. They can even check your work line by line so you can be confident it's done right. Who knew confidence and peace of mind could be synonymous with taxes? TurboTax Live with CPAs and EAs on demand. See details at TurboTax.com. Let TurboTax Live be your helping hand. Visit TurboTax.com today. So now we are ready with the pick. It will be officially announced as Brooklyn's pick. This is the one that's part of the proposed D'Angelo Russell trade. Here's the commissioner, Adam Silver. With the 27th pick in the 2017 NBA draft, the Brooklyn Nets select Kyle Kuzma from the University of Utah. All right, so we are proud and pleased to have Sean Derenthal from the Ode to Odin podcast with us again. He joined us last year to talk about the NBA draft. Obviously, the last few years, we have had lottery prospects to talk about. This year, it's a little different. The Lakers only have the number 25th pick and the number 47th pick. And given the way that things are going with them potentially having to unload Luau Dang and use additional assets, we're not even sure if they keep that number 25 pick. But, (laughs) Sean, welcome again to the Lakers Legacy Podcast. You have grown in popularity and followers, et cetera, et cetera, in credibility and all that stuff. So we're obviously especially glad this time around to have you even though we were just as excited to have you the first time around. Not to say anything the first time around. I don't know where I was going with that. But just to say you you got you guys have grown leaps and bounds with your content and your podcast and, you know, you and Cole kind of doing your thing with uh, the Stepian. I'm not sure if, how involved you are with the Stepian, but I know you guys are always on each other's podcasts. But I'll let you do your own elevator pitch so I don't screw it up. So, Sean, welcome back. <laughs> Thanks, man. I really appreciate you having me on. I um, I think the first podcast I was ever on I mean, we're on the same network, so there's obviously like mm-hmm, right. a connection, but the first podcast I ever guest on was yours. So oh, nice. thank you very much for that. Also, um, yeah, no doubt I've gotten a lot, I, at least I hope I've gotten a lot better at this. Um, just, you know, putting in more time and obviously the longer you do anything, you get better. But um, yeah, the Stepian, just like a quick shout out, the Stepian, uh, Cole and I started that together and we brought on a few guys that we like, but yeah, we kind of run stuff. Cole's obviously the 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 face of stuff he's you know the bigger deal for sure um but i yeah i i do a lot of like the the technical stuff in the background or whatever and a few few pieces of content obviously ode to odin's a big part of the content and stuff but yeah it's been awesome man like the the reception just generally um how much like traffic has grown on the step in and everything it's been it's it's just been super fun it's been awesome awesome and where can people find you um so on twitter at ode to odin Obviously, like just wherever you get podcasts, um, Ode to Odin, the NBA Draft podcast, and then thestepian.com. <laughs> I, I must say that uh, several people warned us against the name, which we probably, <laughs> in hindsight, probably shouldn't have chosen. People, like maybe, I don't know, five in ten, four in ten can spell it correctly, let alone pronounce it correctly. <laughs> so S-T-E-P, step. I-E-N, thestepian.com is, yeah, that's our draft website, so. There you go. Yeah, your guys is, um, you guys have been a valuable resource to NBA draft Knicks on Twitter, and especially for Lakers fans too, or at least as far as the Lakers legacy is concerned, because we've kind of had to do a little bit of, of a catching up session here these last few months, because our eyes haven't really been too honed in 
as it typically is, and we're following the college basketball season all year to find these top prospects. Uh, So we've been doing a little bit of a cram session recently, and you guys have been a huge help in that. I've listened to like a couple of your podcasts as well to just gain gain some additional context and knowledge into these prospects. And funnily enough, I mean, it's interesting what's going on with Draft Express and ESPN, right? Where the first few months they had no videos out because of the acquisition and whatnot. And that's kind of allowed you guys to kind of take center stage, even though you guys were already building a platform as early as last year and become kind of like the go-to resource for real NBA draft nerds this year. So (laughs) it's been great. Um, With that said, let's jump right into it. Um, I guess we'll start kind of like general and vague. The main question is, how deep really is this draft? We've been hearing about how maybe at the top you've got Luka Doncic and DeAndre Ayton and guys like JJJ and stuff like that. But outside of that, maybe from number five all the way down to number 28, the prospects are all really good. And you can, depending on your particular context, could find a guy who could really thrive in your system or your team. Um, So my question to you is, one, how deep really is this draft? I think as Lakers fans who only have a pick in the number 25 to number 47th range, I'm trying to suss out how homery we're looking at things because obviously <laughs> if you're only looking at number 25 you're like oh it's really deep and there's so many good prospects in this range like we you just naturally want to have that uh perspective on things because it's the only range you're looking at you know so i guess i wanted to get a more objective look on is it really a deep draft class and are we really could we potentially end up getting like a difference maker even though you don't typically get starters anyways a potential contributor given the way that the lakers have drafted with their late first round picks anyways the recent years Yeah, it's a really good question. This draft is particularly interesting, I think, because um, unlike last year, where in the second half of the first round, there was just a run on bigs. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you you guys avoided that with a a couple key pickups there in the late first um, and in the second, obviously. Um, But this year, the second half of the draft is all wings. And we've talked about for a long time how I think it makes sense that in kind of considering today's positional versatility, um, the value of different positions, I think it makes sense when you have these later picks, like like you noted, at this range, 25 at the end of the first, like it's you have about a one in four chance about, like it's actually a little bit worse than that, of getting a player that's good enough to be in a playoff rotation, right? So mm. odds are like this guy's not going to be that good for you but um if you like however many tickets you spend on wings is valuable right because you just hit on one nobody has a great chance but there will be somebody there will be a couple guys in the back half of this first who will be good so you know troy brown kevin herter landry schmidt uh shake milton kevin knox well those guys might actually go earlier than the second half but you know you can see a lot of these wings there in the second half that have potential so it's interesting that you say like how deep is it i don't know exactly but I do know that I think the makeup of the depth is maybe more valuable. So mm. I don't know. Maybe that means yes. But uh, I, I don't know. I just think it's more interesting that we're looking at wings instead of like adding a bunch more fives to the league. Yeah, it's just an interesting draft in general, too, just because of when we'll get to these two in, in a little bit. But just the the mystery prospects who also have tantalizing upside, but you don't really know about what they can actually do. And yeah. and Fernie Simons and Mitchell Robinson kind of like pushing that crop down as well. The fact that you can get these mystery guys late in the first round, I think that adds to the intrigue of this year's draft. So I guess in a sense, I'm glad I'm not homerizing the depth of this draft <laughs> or the value of the depth. So that's good to know. Um but you may have to do a lot more convincing to me because I'm starting to fade 
just my hype and love for guys in the 25 range just because I don't okay. want to get my hopes up because we may yeah. end up trading that guy. So I'm like, please let any of these guys that we're talking about in the 25 range somehow bump themselves down to 47. Then I would be ecstatic. But if you could enlighten us on who else we can look forward to that late, that would be great. <laughs> um, but before we get to that, um, as of the time that we're recording this, the Lakers are set to uh, work out DeAnthony Melton. And I know you're really high on him, as am I. Um, but yeah, before we get started into like all the deeper guys, um, I guess, why are you so confident in DeAnthony Melton in spite of the question marks surrounding his shooting and maybe just his offense in general. Um, I guess in an offense, how does he score? How does he fit into a pace and space ball moving team like the Lakers? Um, to me, at his floor, is he like a David Nwaba with better ball, b-ball skill and playmaking ability and higher shot upside? Because, you know, as Lakers fans know, even David Nwaba was a very useful player because of yeah. his tenacity on defense and his motor. Um, recently, I've come up with this, like, amalgamation for DeAnthony Melton where I'm like man this guy if he shakes out could become some fluid form of Aaron Aflalo plus Marcus Smart plus Avery Bradley <laughs> you know like those <laughs> who knows so I guess what are your thoughts on DeAnthony Melton and why are you high on him well uh, like okay I'll just say like I'm I'm definitely biased in this. I mean I try to obviously limit this eliminate this as much as possible but when you're stuck watching college game after college game after college game and then, you know, every sixth game you watch or seventh game you watch is an NBA game. Um, Melton stands out as mm. somebody who thinks the game at a really, really high level. His So there are guys that obviously do right things and make generally good decisions. Then there are guys who in creative situations or like in the chaos of transition or in a second shot opportunity when you don't have like a perfect set, they're making instantaneous decisions. Right. And like, it seems like they're anticipate, like they're seeing a half second into the future, right? Their anticipation mm -hmm. is just, is um, it's, it's remarkable compared to the, especially the guys that he's around. Right. So last year he was a very young freshman, obviously unhailed coming in, but like all of the small things, all of the glue guy things, quote unquote, stereotypical type things, he did very well. Uh, USC had a player named Benny Boatwright. I think that's right, mm -hmm. Benny Boatwright, who is like a tall, like four, maybe three, but kind of a, a bigger on the four side. And he had like a really smooth shot. I I don't think that he was a great player. I thought he took a, took a lot of bad shots. I thought he dominated a lot of their offense. When he was injured last year, I went back and watched as many of those games as I could find. And Melton had the ball in his hands a lot more. He was asked to create mm -hmm. a lot more. And in the pick and roll, he was diming guys up in an NBA fashion in the way that you want um, NBA guards to kind of see the floor. Now, he's not a crazy David Nwaba athlete, no doubt. Mm -hmm. um, and he doesn't have that insane motor. But his decision-making and his athleticism are very good. And... I think his passing is very underrated. His creation, yeah. he doesn't have a ton of like off the dribble creation necessarily, but like change of pace stuff is fine. He has some creative body control getting into the lane. I mean, there are times where he gets a little bit too deep and doesn't make the best decision or whatever, but um, there are, I think a lot of pocket passes. There are passes where he can kind of wait, get the roll man when the big is starting to recover into him when it's not looking anyway, just there are a lot of things on offense that I think are kind of under the radar that he did very well as a freshman when he had opportunity and he was there often their fourth, sometimes fifth offensive option. So like there just wasn't very much opportunity for him mm -hmm. his freshman year. I just think plus all the things that we've 
raved about on defense. Him as a team defender, one of the best. It's like it's him and Jaron Jackson Jr. and then like the rest of the field. Um, maybe McCall Bridges you can throw up there too. But I just I think that he is he's really elite in some areas and then really underrated in some other areas. So if the shot works and it seems like you know based on a sample size of ten from <laughs> you know a, a, a Twitter video where he didn't have to move at all, it seems like his shot is perfect, right? Um, so if the shot is real. Then I think he's uh, I think he's a steal. Like I think he's incredibly valuable. Yeah, like you said, I really value his uh, high basketball IQ. He seems very like a guy who's just under control most of the time, more often than not, and that's rare to find in a young yeah. player. Uh, very intentional, and you know the fact that he can initiate um, through his defense, you know, fast breaks and transitions. Wh- whether it's him getting the block and getting the rebound for himself and then leading the break or leaking out along with Lonzo ball. I think that's the type of style and play that the, uh, that perfectly fits seamlessly with what the Lakers are trying to do, which is a lot of transition play. And you only get into transition if you are able to get stops. Right. But not only that, I've seen a couple of plays of him where he's just a really good, he really likes to get it out ahead. You know, he doesn't like to hold the ball too long. And even if he's holding the ball and racing down the court, he has the handles and vision to be patient enough and make the right plays, even with the defense scrambling and whatnot, and the offense not entirely set. And I think that's the type of player that the Lakers could really use and would be a pretty good compliment to Lonzo Ball. And if his shot really shakes out, then even more so, you know. So, yeah, I'm, that's, I think that's why I'm also very intrigued by DeAnthony Melton. And we'll see uh, coming out of his workout um, whether they are able to see enough potential in his shot to, uh, to uh, if, he, if he falls to number 25, take a swing at him. Do you think at number 25 that would be a really, really good position or that you would consider that a steal for the Lakers? Well, I mean, I personally would. I've... Um, well, not that I have like some crazy sources, but I think that he will probably fall either just above that position or to you guys, or maybe even further. I, it's, I think it's interesting that he is, he's a little bit of an analog in, you know, nobody's a perfect comparison, but the Josh Hart comparison, I think is interesting Mm. with him. Um, yeah, I just, you can't have too many of those guys. Those guys are super valuable. Good decision makers on the wing, obviously. Um, yeah. Fill around stars better than anybody else. So. Cool. All right. So before we get into some of the prospects that we have yet to touch upon in our podcast, what are your thoughts on the mystery guys with upside? Um, do you have any thoughts on Anthony Simons? And I, I recently it's come out that the Lakers are intrigued by his athleticism. He's very young, uh, very slight in frame still, but he has bunnies for legs and he's got major hops, but nobody really knows what he can do. He seems like a three-level scorer, but that's against like and one high school, you know, like playground guys. We, we have no idea. So yeah. yeah. What your thoughts are on Anthony Simons? No, I mean, I don't really have like any <laughs> revelations for you. Obviously I, I can shout out Mike Gribbenoff who writes for the Stepien. He wrote the best piece that I've seen. Clearly I'm biased obviously, but I, mm-hmm. uh, some, as much film breakdown as you can, I think on someone like that and just kind of putting it in the context of the modern NBA and what's important, um, in an, in a wing initiator type, uh, so go read that piece on the Stepien. Just like search for Anthony mm-hmm. Simons the Stepien. But I I do think from reading that and going back and watching as much you know film as I as I could just recently like I watched like a game and a half, um, and I don't even think it was the best context. I think the competition was particularly poor for this game. But he's definitely interesting, right? Like there there are some things there that speak to a natural creator who has some feel getting separation. Um, his shot seems legitimately promising. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's, those are some things that I think 
gosh, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know. It's uncertain as like everybody else. Right. But I do think that it's, it's very, very interesting. I used to kind of just think like, Oh, you know, who's this guy? Blah, blah, blah. I watched a little bit and I thought he was awful, but the more that I watched, I thought, okay, maybe this guy is something. And of course, you know, it's, it's a shot in the dark, but, but maybe like we talked about at the beginning in the second half of the first, when you don't really know taking a chance on him is worth a gamble. Right. Yep. For sure. And do you have any thoughts on Mitchell Robinson? Uh, again, Mike Grimanoff wrote, I think, the best piece on him, <laughs> actually like breaking down film in the game. Mike's been following him for a long time. Um, I, I've actually seen less of Robinson. Well, maybe that's not true. I've seen less real games of Robinson. I've seen Robinson in a uh, in like an all-star game mm-hmm. context, which is, you know, there's some things you can take, some things that you don't. But I, just to say, I think that there's a chance that he could be spoken about at this time if he had stayed at Western Kentucky or gone to some other better situation, whatever that we would be talking about him in the same realm as like the rest of these bigs at the top of the class, because he might be that good defensively. Mm. But again, you know, there are some character concerns and, um, and some other concerns. So I, yeah, who knows, man, I think he's, he's another fine gamble in the second half of the first, maybe middle of the first. Cool. All right. So let's get into some uh, prospects that, um, that the Lakers may be interested in and maybe they have, they, that they've, previously worked out as well um what are your thoughts on jacob evans from cincinnati i have no idea what happened (laughs) to his jump shot because there was a recent workout video of him shooting around after his lakers workout and it looks vastly different i don't know if that has anything to do with him having to shoot farther out because it's the nba three-point line but i don't know if you saw that video but his shot looks different from college and in college it looked super nice and fluid but anyways that that aside what are your thoughts on jacob evans for me, I've kind of I was trying to find some comps for him, and and maybe he's like the shooting guard version of Jay Crowder or Damari Carroll, but with more playmaking skills. Uh, Wesley Matthews, perhaps, if that shot really is true and it's really a pure shot, and he can translate that to the NBA. Yeah, what are your thoughts on on Jacob Evans and his versatility as a as more than just a three and D guy? I know he wants to put that out there that he can play make and he has some handles as well, which I, I agree with. But I guess what are your thoughts? Yeah, he's he's really interesting. Somebody that I really like a lot, honestly. I think he makes a lot of sense at the end of the lottery, you know, right in that kind of middle of the first range. He's just such a good team defender. Like his instincts on defense are really, really good. Of course, he's like kind of on the older side. I think he was like a redshirt sophomore this year or something like that. Um, But you're right. There are some kind of underrated playmaking instincts. I think the passing is much better than his like on ball creation type stuff. Mm. He never really got to the rim very often. Of course, the space of the NBA sometimes will change that for different prospects. I don't know that for him, that'll be such a big deal because his first step isn't lightning or anything like that, but the comfort with the ball in his hands to run like a secondary pick and roll, um, sometimes primary, like he was forced to do that a lot in college. And so there's definitely like just general understanding IQ, quick decision-making stuff that he does on the offensive end that as a role player, you know, next to a primary NBA level creator, of course, he can add a lot of value there. And like you said, the shooting is a big thing. I didn't see any of that video. <laughs> I don't know if his if his form's changed or not. That's terrifying, obviously. Yeah. Um, but if you know, it, he, he all that we know is that he should be a good shooter as well. And then on defense, on the ball, I don't think he's any great shakes. I don't, I think sometimes he plays a little bit shorter than like his listed six six. I think his wingspan is like not great and he's not particularly strong, but he's really, really smart on that end. And, um, 
frankly, like on ball defense, I think is a bit overrated anyway mm-hmm. in the playoffs. Defense is played on a team level, of course. Sure. So yeah. I, he's not going to, he's not somebody that's like going to be, they're not going to be hunting him to switch onto him to attack him in the playoffs. Like, I don't think that's true unless he's on the best individual defensive team ever. Right. And he's like the worst. So yeah, I think he's, he's again, one of these prospects that's, um, probably above that level of guys that were like gambling on, but like just a valuable wing archetype, right? Yeah. I think the one thing for me when I watched his game, I was like, nothing particularly stood out. He's not flashy in any way, but I think the the word solid kind of encapsulates who he is, right? He's just a very solid guy. And sometimes that's all you need at that at that range. Um, so what do you think about Jerome Robinson? I, I've really grown a liking to this kid from Boston College. Um, he's like a pure scorer, shot the lights out his last year. In Boston College, I think he was almost like 50% from the field, uh, 40 plus percent from three on a on a large number of attempts. I think 20 points, three assists, three rebounds, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. For me, he's like six five. I threw this out there. This may be extreme, but I was like, I see this guy's ceiling as a Kroger brand version of Brandon Roy. Maybe it's because he wears that like leg sleeve on one of his legs, and then <laughs> his jump shot actually looks very Brandon Royish. It's like very up and yeah. down in textbook. And then I just really like his feel and how fluid he looks with the ball in his hands, how he's able to like just pull up off a dime and just drain a jumper with guy with guys in his face, you know, because he's so because he has pretty good length. And for me, it just seems like he has good feel and he's definitely a scorer. You know, the the downside of all this is, is he like, is he just Nick Young or like a, a Marcus Thornton type who all he does is score? But yeah, I guess what, what, what are your thoughts on on him having a Devin Booker, Jamal Murray, Bradley Beal starter package? <laughs> well, I am I am definitely not drinking the Robinson Kool-Aid. Okay. I I okay, so there's no doubt that on offense he's a shooter. He has just impeccable feel for the timing of the shot. His release is super quick. Mm-hmm. His footwork is frankly like some of the best. Like he's mm-hmm. he's a legitimate shooter. There's no doubt about that. Um I do think that he plays he plays smaller mm. than than he's that he's kind of listed at. I don't know if it's like a wingspan thing. I think it might just be like a general athleticism thing. He doesn't have a lot of pop vertically. Honestly, he reminds me, as you were talking, I thought that he reminded me a little bit of like a smaller, worse defending Kyle Kuzma. And Kuzma's already mm. not some amazing yeah, defender, yeah. right? Um, I think he's like really, really bad on defense, like particularly bad on defense. Okay. And um, I don't know that like getting all the way to the rim is something that he's going to be able to do frequently. He definitely has feel like in a pick and roll. He makes some really good um, across his body to the weak side corner, weak side wing passes out of the pick and roll. Like there's definitely like offensive feel through the ceiling, no doubt. Um, Shooter, no doubt, but he gives you, he gives you very, very little on defense. Like he's going to definitely going to be like a really big negative defender. Mm -hmm. And then why, like there are guys I think that are comparable to him that are just, um, that are just taller, right. That are bigger, that might give a little bit more resistance from just height and length. He just doesn't have like the foot speed, I think to defend a lot. And then as a team defender, there's laps after laps, after laps, Mm -hmm. little feel there, like little to no feel at all. So I, I don't know. I'm not super high on him. Definitely like a second round guy. If you want to take him with that 47th pick or whatever it is that you guys have, that seems more reasonable to me, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't take him at twenty five for sure. Cool, sounds good. Good to know the put a wet blanket on my Jerome Robinson <laughs> Kroger brand Brandon Roy hype. <laughs> <laughs> if we take the defense out of it, he looks like him, right? Yeah, it's great <laughs> <laughs> for sure. There's a shot actually. I was I watched him a couple of days ago because we're about to talk about him on the podcast, 
And there's a shot that he took that I actually remember Brandon Roy taking in college. <laughs> like in the in the paint where he got in the middle, like we're not really where we're supposed to be, but could turn around this little like kind of put shot floater thing. It was like super Brandon Roy. It's funny <laughs> that you say that because I actually thought that in the moment. But yeah, nice. I don't think he's quite the creator. <laughs> That's yeah. fair. <laughs> All right, cool. So let's let's move on to another offensive centric player, uh, Euro prospect from France. I think he's French, right? Uh, Ellie Okobo, six three. It looks very much like D'Angelo Russell. We've all, we've been saying this over and over again. Yeah, what do you what do you think about him? Does he have enough playmaking acumen to really be an all around more of an all around player in the NBA? Does he have more athletic upside than a D'Angelo Russell? He's he seems to be semi as erratic as D'Angelo in terms of some of the whip passes and needle passes that he likes to take. And then I mean the most important thing as as you mentioned with Jerome Robinson's deficiencies. Do you see him being able to be serviceable on defense, or do you think he'll just get eaten up on the NBA level and maybe he's just going to be like a six-man type score at the end of the day, like an Isaiah Thomas type? Yeah, I wish I could speak with more authority about Okobo. I have only seen like three games Mm -hmm. of his, and I know that he's he's had he's starting to like peak right now, which is great for his for his draft stock, obviously, right? Um, But I saw a couple earlier games and then one kind of more recent game where he looked a little bit more aggressive on offense. So there's like definitely a change in his game recently. I don't know exactly what that's due to. Um, I I think I think you kind of hit the nail on the head with like just my initial impressions again that of course he's going to like suffer a bit on defense. He's he's no great shakes there. Um, on offense, he seems to have like some good qualities as as a creator. I don't know that. Like none of the passes were particularly impressive for somebody who I don't think is going to be a super physically imposing creator. So like you know, at the NBA, if you want to have, if you're going to be a primary creator, like even on a second unit, there has to be like an elite ability to get your own shot consistently mm-hmm. from multiple levels of the floor, or to get it at a reasonable level, and because of that creation, to be able to create it for others. Right? Like I don't need to tell you this. Obviously, this is a pretty simple concept, but I don't know that he's particularly good at either of those. Like, I don't know exactly which archetype he fits into. And I wonder, of course, not everybody fits perfectly into an archetype, some box of some role player, some perfect role player. But I just wonder, is he going to be efficient enough score for himself? Um, if he's not going to be some like high level creator for others. And if he's just your secondary ball handler, like, wouldn't you rather just have somebody bigger who could play off the ball, who could give you, similar off ball value in, you know, similar shooting efficiencies, but then bring a little bit more switchability on, uh, on defense to make up for, you know, fitting guys around primary creators in the NBA is like the task of the GM, right? Mm-hmm. They have deficiencies. You have to fit a team around them. And Elio Kobo is often probably not going to be a great complimentary player. So I, I'm, I I think I'm kind of more skeptical than some of my uh, than than maybe Jackson Hoy, who's another guy that writes for the Stepping, who wrote a great piece about Okobo and one of his, is one of his big fans. I think I'm more skeptical, but like, sure, like if you want to take a chance on him in the second half of the first, like I'm fine with him too. I I I think he's, he's definitely below Evans, but I think more highly of him than let's say Robinson for sure. Hey, this is Brian from the Almighty Baller Podcast Network here to talk about keeps. So there's just no two ways to say it. Losing hair is awful. Nobody wants to go through it. And two out of three guys are going to experience hair loss by the time they're 35. This is the world we live in, people. 
Now, I personally haven't started this, you know, downturn, but I got a couple of people close to my life that go through it and they always say, should have started it sooner rather than later. So anyways, these FDA approved products used to cost so much, but now thanks to Keeps, they're finally inexpensive and easy to get. For five minutes now and starting just $10 per month, you'll never have to worry about hair loss again. So they've ironed out the process. Basically, you just take a photo of your hair and you shoot it over and a licensed physician will review the information and recommend the right treatment to you and then, boom, shipped right to your door every three months. So Keeps is only $10 to $35 a month. Uh, plus, now you can get your first month free uh, to, to what? To keep your hair. So come on. What are we talking about here? To receive your first month of treatment for free, go to keeps.com slash almighty. That's K-E-E-P-S dot com slash almighty. That's a free month of treatment at keeps.com slash almighty. Keeps hair today, hair tomorrow. Gotcha. Okay, so I'll, I'll turn it to you and ask you, are there any particular players that we haven't yet talked about that you see as a good fit for the Lakers? Should they be there at number 25? I know there's Josh Okoji and, and Melvin Frazier, but there are there any other guys that come to mind? And we've talked at length about Kevin Herter. We're not sure whether the Lakers promised him a selection at that pick or, you know, he's he has he's getting surgery on his right hand or something, or maybe it's le- his left hand, but uh, maybe he's even going to go before the Lakers. But are there any other prospects that you think would particularly be a good fit with the Lakers roster? Yeah, it's interesting. I like I don't have anybody besides just like, you know, the normal candidates. I do think that if Robert Williams falls that far, which I mean, who knows if he will or not, but I think he's somebody who might be a little bit underrated at this point. Um of course there are like some character concerns and stuff, but I I he's really kind of intriguing me lately and I wonder be- because you guys have kind of um, a blank slate as far as like who you project to be your future bigs, Robert Williams could be somebody who's really, really interesting to kind of develop with your young core. Mm. You know, if you don't have because of free agents, some accelerated timeline, you know, LeBron or whoever, or Paul George or whatever. Um, so I think Robert Williams, if he falls that far is somebody who's like really, really interesting for you guys, especially if you're going to play him next to Alonzo ball, a Josh Hart, um, another, you know, wing creator type, who can who can pass kind of take advantage of him rolling to the rim um he also has a tiny bit of like passing acumen stuff like that um i i mean besides like the guys that you named i think landry Shamet, if he falls that far i'm really high on him okay i just think he's great value i he mirrors a lot of what josh hart's gonna do um he but he's like yeah he, i think he's a really really good off-ball shooter like one of the best in this class mm. uh, shake milton's interesting it sounds like kevin knox won't get as far down like all year he was projected to be in this range, right? But now it seems like, I don't know, he's going to go in top 10 or something crazy. Yeah. But Kevin Knox seems to be great. I, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of interesting guys. Um, yeah, but but none that you haven't really mentioned, I don't think. Cool. Let's move down to the number 47th pick. Uh, you mentioned Shake Milton. He may actually slip to the 47th. I know he did not have a very good NBA draft combine, but obviously his length and his shooting are intriguing skills to have at the NBA level. We'll see whether or not that translates. Um, two guys that I wanted to talk to you about, though, both from Kentucky. And with regards to Kentucky, you know, sometimes we talk a lot about their players who come out of Calipari's system and how they've been stifled, and all of a sudden they get to the NBA and they're able to do more and, and showcase more of their skills. I wanted to ask you whether that applies to these young players. Um, what What are your thoughts on Jared Vanderbilt? Um, I think coming out of high school, people saw a lot of... Uh, 
playmaking skill from him, a guy who could handle the ball and, and who was versatile. And if his injuries shake out and he proves to be a healthy player, yeah, what are your thoughts on, on Vanderbilt? I think he's an, a great gamble at 47, mm. to be honest. He's super, super intriguing. Again, like at this point in the draft, you have a tiny chance of these guys like ever really working out, right? But um, he's one of those guys that has um, an extreme skill and extreme or extreme strength and extreme weakness profile where it's like, you know, which is going to kind of be the dominant trait. Um, If, if his upside like pans out, you know, the incredible feel, incredible sense for rebounding, uh, the ability at a legitimate six ten to like really run the floor really, really well, like always making good decisions. When he was back and he had the ball in his hands, Kentucky looked like a completely different team. Like they, they lacked a second creator, a really good second creator off the dribble the entire year. And so when he was on the floor, you know, he's not a great, obviously finisher. That's, that's the whole problem, right? Is his shot mm-hmm. is completely broken, but like almost everything else besides a lot of girth and a lot of strength. I think he has, he has like a lot of versatility. So it'd be interesting to see him be played frankly at the center position mm. and uh, have a little bit of like creation equity there. I mean, he, clearly he's no Julius Randall at all, but in the same mold as like a shorter center who uh, can create a ton of mismatches and you can play for, you know, 10 minutes of a game, 12 minutes of a game, a specific style, you know, with the second unit team, him matched with a couple starters that really complement that. You could really push the pace up, that kind of thing. I think he's, he's super interesting. At this point in the draft, he's one of my favorite gambles for sure. Cool. Um, what about his counterpart, Wenyan Gabriel? Um, 6'9", 6'10", as well, about a seven-foot wingspan. He's pretty much the opposite, right? He can sh- he, he he potentially can shoot. I mean, he's had a game where he's shot seven for seven, and during the Lakers workout, he, I think, tied for the highest score in their mentality drill, which is essentially the running up and down the court and shooting a bunch of threes, and you're seeing how much you can hit. <laughs> I think that's the extent of it, because they really want guys who can withstand you know having to run up and down and still having the stamina and whatnot and he tested really well in that respect um but he also shot i think 39 percent this last season with kentucky um so yeah what are your thoughts on winning gabriel is he could he potentially be in this channing fry type model if his shot continues to progress at the rate that it has or, or yeah what do you see in him or do you think he's just too raw and lacking in other skills overall yeah he's interesting um, I know like coming into his freshman year at Kentucky, he was a very heralded recruit, mostly because of his like physical profile. And he hasn't gained a lot of weight as he's gotten older. His motor is definitely there, but there's really nothing else that you look at and say, I mean, even the sh- you kind of mentioned the shooting stuff recently, and maybe, you know, maybe that will be a late development, but I think you probably have to bet against the shot. Um, he, you know, he didn't shoot it well his first couple of years. So I, I honestly, like I've seen him a lot. Cause you watch, if you're going to watch him for the draft, you watch him a lot, you know, you watch Kentucky over the past, you know, three, four years, whatever more than that. So I've seen him a lot and just, he never checks enough boxes to say like, okay, this guy breaks a threshold where he's draftable to the NBA. He's an interesting guy that, you know, you play in the G league for a couple of years. Maybe he develops, maybe you get him, um, in an NBA system, you get him out of the Kentucky system and you give him a really specific role on defense and his corner three develops or something, right? Like there's definitely an upside with him that some of these guys that we talk about, I think maybe don't have, but he's never for me checked enough boxes to where I think, Oh yeah, this guy's somebody that I want to, I want to waste a draft pick on. Um, but you know, if he gets drafted in the second round, it's, it won't be insane, but he's not somebody that I'm really in love with at all. 
So you're telling me he doesn't have Jonathan Isaac or Thon Maker potential? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, uh, no. <laughs> All right. Uh, what about, I don't even know how to say this guy's name. Um, Zanan Musa? Is that how you say it? It's the silent D, right? I, I, I always pronounce, I hear it, Zanan Musa. Zanan Musa. Okay, that makes more yeah. sense. But a uh, 6'9", yeah, 7-foot wingspan, Euro wingman. Nice mobility, surprisingly nice and shaky handles at 6'9". Uh, has some pretty good playmaking ability and vision. Obviously, good shooting. I kind of, when I saw his game, I was like, is is he kind of like a poor man's version of Danilo Gallinari? Obviously, not as he's not as good of a shooter as Gallinari, but I can right. see some of that shades of that in there. Uh, so yeah, what are your thoughts on, on Musa? He's clearly a scorer. He's a bucket getter, but he has some handles and some playmaking acumen to go along with that as well. So what are your thoughts on Musa? Yeah, he's really interesting. Somebody that I've seen a lot of just because he's been a very prominent figure in the, like the under 18, under 19 kind of scene uh, internationally. And so when you watch the young you know, USA guys and these tournaments and stuff, the FIBA stuff, you, you know, you see him every year and he's like you said, he's a bucket getter. He's played for um, Bosnia, Herzegovina or, or however you say that. Mm-hmm. And he's been like their only player. So in every tournament, you know, he's one of like the top five guys or whatever. He's in the all tournament team because he scores a ton and you're right. He has, he has some elite feel as far as creation ability to get separation without a ton of athleticism. Um, he definitely maxes out, I think, in that way. There are some, I don't know, I don't know if you want to call them red flags, maybe like orangish red flags. <laughs> um, like defensively, he's finally had to take a step back. He's finally gotten to, I should say, had the opportunity to take a step back usage-wise this year. And I, I digged in on him a little bit early, and then just recently I've kind of dug in him a little bit late. And his defense hasn't improved a ton, I think there is there are some things to like if you get him, you know, with an American chef and you get him working <laughs> like a, a NBA athleticism type stuff. You might be able to transform his body a little bit. He's still like pretty young, so there's there's some upside there. I think he's more athletic than people give him credit for. So like there's some potential for him to change his profile on defense, um, but offensively, I think he's a bit overrated as a passer. I think he throws like very obvious passes there's Mm -hmm. not a ton of anticipation he passes to open guys someone who's been creating for a long time somebody who has grown up in an area where playing out of the pick and roll is like a must right like they're doing that out of the womb over there i think he has like less feel than i'd like in that scenario so like there are some creation situations they'll find himself in the nba which i don't know that he's going to succeed and i don't think that his one-on-one kind of stuff is nearly going to like offer the kind of expected value that mm. that um, that he's getting now. So he's somebody interesting at the twenty fifth pick. Um, if you you know do your background and his character's good and you think that he's going to want to play defense, like these are hard things to predict. But he he's like definitely a late first round guy for me. Top five picks of the second round. If he's here at forty seven, I would be I would be shocked, and he would be an amazing pick there, obviously. Gotcha. Okay. Um, what about Moritz Wagner from Michigan? Uh, I don't know if he's, I think he's slated to be maybe early second round, but maybe he'll fall to the 47th pick. He's 6'11", seven foot wingspan. Um, in spite of the fact that he has a face that it seems like most people would hate because he looks like the, <laughs> he looks like the lead from American Vandal on Netflix. If anybody's watched that show, but anyways, he's a big man shooter. He kind of shoots like Kevin Love, in my opinion. He's like the slower, suckier version of Kevin Love. Doesn't rebound a lot as for a big man, but 
is is he just like a Steve Novak type player or is he Frank Kaminsky or is he BJ Mullins? I don't know. <laughs> oh, interesting. Those guys, <laughs> BJ Mullins is a deep cut, which like strikes in my heart, obviously. Or is it Byron that? Mullins? Byron Mullins, Byron right? Mullins. There yeah, you go. Whatever, BJ. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's recently asked, well, I guess not recently, but anyway, anyway, we, we don't have to talk about Mullins anymore. <laughs> I think, um, yeah, Wagner is interesting because um, he's interesting because he's supremely skilled for his size. Um, I should say supremely skilled for his position. Mm-hmm. He's not super long for being a center. He's definitely, he definitely has to be a center on defense. And even then, like he's going to be very, very poor. He's going to be somebody who's going to be hunted in pick and rolls constantly. Like guards are going to want to, are going to want to switch on him all the time. Um, if you have an offensive big, you're going to want to like ISO that situation immediately. He's going to be like blood in the water for sharks in the playoffs for sure. There's no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. So like, that's the downside for him. But on offense, he has legitimate skill. He's not like an amazing passer, but like he's fine there. But his feel and creation opportunities around the rim, um, his ability to get rebounds where you think that somebody with his length athleticism shouldn't be able to get. Uh, he has a really, really pure stroke from outside, I think. So like there are things to like about him. Like there is a path that you could potentially see him being a valuable like third big, if that's still a thing in the NBA, or like a mm-hmm. second big. I you could definitely see that. Like they're going to be uh, matchups for him that are going to be really good, right? Like let's say you your opposing center on the second unit isn't very offensively minded and they don't run a ton of screen and roll, then it makes sense to get Wagner in there and try to um, either bully that mismatch or bring him out, create spacing for your other second unit. Like there are scenarios in which you could devise that happen in the NBA on a regular basis to which he could potentially succeed, but. It, I would be very hard pressed to see him in like a good situation in a playoffs, like making a playoff rotation at all. So, I, he's somebody to me that I I think I probably wouldn't draft just because I'd, I'd rather take a chance on somebody who has the upside to play in the highest level of basketball that we see now. Like his archetype is just kind of a bit of a dinosaur, unfortunately. Mm. But I mean, he's a fun player to watch. But I just I wouldn't take someone like him because I just don't think he even has the upside to contribute um, at the highest level. So. Gotcha. That makes sense. Um, so yeah, I guess in terms of upside, what are your thoughts on, especially at number 47 guys like Hamadou Diallo? He's interesting. I, <laughs> he's, he definitely has like the upside, I suppose, if you want to contribute, if you want to contribute upside, like almost exclusively to physical ability. Right. But he is one of the, he makes some of the worst decisions and also just like like the the decisions of omission, the the sins of omission, where he's just not, he makes no decision very uh, often. Mm-hmm. I he's one of the worst basketball minds. I gosh, I hesitate to say that. Like right? <laughs> this guy's a person. I, I don't want to like just bag on him like this in what seems like such a personal way. But frankly, like he stands out as one of the worst decision makers that I've like ever seen. Mm-hmm. So it's like sure, this guy might be. Like, he could be the most athletic guy in this entire draft. Like, if you made that argument, I would say, fine, that's fine, right? But, like, maybe go do track and field or something. Basketball, (laughs) I I don't know, is your sport. So, like, he is the rare guy where he might have some physical upside, but um, he's so slow decision-making and makes so many mistakes that I he's, like, borderline undraftable for me. If he gets drafted in the second round, like, fine. I'm I'm not going to, like, crucify anybody for that for sure. But uh, he's, yeah, for me, I think he's just borderline undraftable. Gotcha. Um, this next guy, I'm not sure if he's going to fall to this range as well, but 
And he also has uh, somewhat of a shaky injury history. But what would what do you think about Kevin Hervey at, at number 47? And, and what do you think about his game? Obviously, he profiles as like a, a stretch four, stretch. Yes, pretty much a stretch four. I've heard some Anthony Tolliver comps. Maybe he's a little Sean Williams as well, who Lakers fans will remember. Um, but do you see any potential for anything more than that? Uh, yeah, he's de- he's definitely interesting, right? He fits, he fits like a wing guy who can play defense, like maybe can shoot. I there's definitely a lot of things to be interested about. Mm-hmm. I haven't like spent as much time digging into the film of him as I would love to. I I know that early in the season, Colswicker was like really kind of intrigued by him, and so I, I watched a few of the games. He's he's somebody that's intriguing for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the injury flags with him are a little more severe, if I remember, than like for other guys. So it might come down to kind of like the medicals for him, but he's definitely somebody that has the upside because of the role that he could fill um, as a potentially good defensive player and contributing, you know, how we like off ball guys to contribute on offense, namely, you know, shooting from the corner kind of things from a player like him. I think he's definitely somebody that you could gamble at 47 and feel really good about just knowing like, you know, there's a 10% chance that this guy hits, but at least, you know, he has some upside other than guys, you know, like Diallo or Wagner, the guys that we just talked about. Right, right. Okay, so kind of winding down here, my last prospect that I wanted to ask you about would be, it's another tough one to pronounce, uh, Zvi Mikhailu. Is that how you say it? <laughs> yes, Vyatoslav Mikhailuk. There you go. It's Vyatoslav <laughs> Mikhailuk. Um, for nice. me, he's like, he's like a, he's discount Kevin Herter to me. He's, he's short, <laughs> He doesn't have the wingspan. He doesn't have exactly the length and stuff. But man, he's a sharp shooter and he's got some ball handling skills. So what what are your thoughts on Mikhailuk? <laughs> he's been like one of my personal kind of favorites. He's, his jump shot is so pretty. Just one of the most pretty jump shots. And um, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Like, again, He's kind of fine at the end here, but it seems like he's been in this discussion of, you know, being drafted for so many years now. And the story on him, you know, came in as a freshman at, at Kansas at 16. Um, when he plays in the uh, FIBA tournaments for Ukraine, he, you know, we see a lot of creation stuff and everybody gets kind of wowed. Like, you know, is there a ton of upside for this guy? Uh, but at Kansas, like just the production was never that consistent. Like he, he just doesn't, there's nothing that really pops where you say, oh yeah, this guy is on the level of the NBA talent, right? Like he's, frankly, he's not even a good enough shooter, which has always been kind of his thing. He's not even in good enough at that to where you say that's going to drive his stock, like maybe like a Kevin Herter or something like that. Mm-hmm. He's just, he's really not good on defense. He's not a good creator. He makes several bad decisions um, in that regard, especially passing. You just kind of systematically disappointed by him in that regard. I, there are other guys that I think are probably more interesting, but again, if you take him here, it's a fine gamble. I'm fine with it. Cool. All right. Well, I think that's it, Sean. I don't know if you have any random other prospects you want to throw out that you think may fall at the 47th or, or if you have like any overarching um, opinions or perspectives on the Lakers draft in general, given how they've done in the, in the last few years, especially in the late round, given that their number two prospect has kind of been just, default given to them based off of just the top of the draft and whatnot but uh do you have any other thoughts or things you want to throw out before Uh, we close this out nothing really although i do think that um bruce brown and some people are going to crush me for this but grace and allen (laughs) i think are two very interesting guys if you if the lakers do end up trading that pick and 
And in whatever trade, you know, maybe a higher second rounder comes back to them or, mm-hmm. you know, they trade back. I know there are only five picks below them in the, in the 20, in the first round, obviously. Um, but if, if they end up getting like another pick somewhere in the high second, those guys are really interesting. Bruce Brown last year was heralded as kind of a middle of the first prospect. And this year, I think because of some injuries and some like problems, I think at Miami um, and some, frankly, some problems with his own game, his stock kind of receded maybe too far. And so I think it's kind of somewhere in the middle there. He's somebody there there might be kind of an inefficiency on, right? Like he, he might be kind of undervalued at this point. And I think Grayson Allen might even be undervalued. If you think that the character stuff or the on-court craziness is like a real thing and you're super worried about that, I kind of get it. But I feel like he's being pushed down a little bit. I understand that there are some functional athleticism concerns. He doesn't look as athletic as a creator as he does just in the open court dunking, you know, or again, workouts or whatever, but he's a legitimate shooter. Um, I think attacking closeouts, he's very good. I think he makes really good decisions as a defender. He's got tons of effort and he was, he was their best defender for most of the year. Um, Mm -hmm. and then like maybe their second best defender near the end of it. But I, I just think he's a bit underrated at this point too. He checks a ton of boxes at a much higher level than, a lot of these guys that we're talking about kind of later in the draft, I think he's a much sure bet to kind of stick on an NBA roster. So anyway, I I think those guys are kind of undervalued at this point. Yeah, and given the way that the Lakers have been drafting and getting more established and more quote-unquote veteran-type players coming out of college like Josh Hart, I think as hard as, as it is for me to admit, yeah, maybe Grayson Allen would fit that sort of mold. So um <laughs> So, Sean, thank you so much for coming on again and giving us your insight. It's really helpful as we, like I said, cram session this all in right before the draft. And it should be a very, very interesting one with all of the uh, ulterior stuff with free agency going on and what the Cavs might do, what the Lakers might do, what the Rockets might do, et cetera, et cetera. And and we'll see if if Doncic continues to slip. Oh, no. I mean – do, you, do you, I guess lastly, what are your thoughts on just like the narrative surrounding this draft? And do you think it's going to be potentially exciting? I I freaking hope so. If I can plug really quickly, yeah, we are going to be doing a live draft show. We did one last year. I mean, no, nobody really knows that. <laughs> we didn't have very many people, obviously, but um, we're going to do it again. Uh, it's going to look a little more professional, uh, but I I do think I certainly hope that it's exciting because we're going to be doing that show like every other, you know, platform out there. So like if if you like the Stepian brand, obviously I think that's probably what we have going for us. But, you know, there are a lot of other draft shows out there. Anyway, uh but I do think the kind of the narratives at the top of this draft are I, I shouldn't say insane because insane kind of infers some type of certainty that you just can't have with the draft, right? Like mm-hmm. I don't think taking 8 and number 1 is insane, but I do think that he's probably like the sixth best prospect mm. in this draft, right? And I think Luca is the clear-cut number one. I think I could say I think it's insane not to take him, right? I, I think Bamba all of a sudden shooting up because, you know, they put a, a a Twitter clip of him making, you know, six threes in a row. Like, that's <laughs> insane, right? Like, all this, like, if you go back and watch the film of Bamba and Jackson, Jaron Jackson, like, mm-hmm. there's just no comparison. Jackson is just better in, like, almost every yeah. single way. So I, I think uh, this draft is, like, has the potential to be really interesting. Hopefully there are like trades at the top. Hopefully it gets crazy. Obviously that would be great just from an entertainment perspective. But, uh, but I think we could look back on this draft and I, I think the, the narratives will, will always be like, 
yeah, how can we, how do teams possibly pass on Doncic? Like, I think that will mm-hmm. be the prevailing narrative of like, you know, when we look back in five years or whatever. Definitely, definitely. So yeah, check out Sean's live cast of the draft and professionalism is overrated, my friend, especially <laughs> and, the, and the listeners who listen to our podcast know that. Am I right, guys? Yeah, you know, that. <laughs> Lakers legacy, everybody. All right, Sean, thanks for uh, joining once again. And uh, yeah, we'll talk to you on Twitter and all that stuff. And if, if you guys want to hit Sean up at at Ode to Odin as well for your draft questions. And even as the, the draft goes on live, uh, do that as well. So Sean, thanks for coming on and we will talk to you again sometime soon. Of course, man. Thanks. Thank you. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents, which means you're going to start telling your kids to clean up before the cleaning lady comes. Doesn't make sense, but you're the parent and they're the kids. You're going to start telling them that now, too. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. And there's your opening to remind them who pays the bills around here. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations. This is what flow from Progressive sounds like in one of our many hilarious commercials. Hi! Did you know that you can get a quote on your motorcycle insurance in under three minutes at Progressive.com? And did you know that saying hi makes even bad news sound good? Hi! You have high cholesterol! Hi! You're fine! And this is what that same commercial sounds like on your motorcycle. Hi! There's no more even our commercials sound better on a bike. And with basic policy starting at $75 a year, Progressive helps keep you on yours. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates annual premium for basic liability policy not available in all states. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.